Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Yes, hello there, everybody. Hello there, and welcome to episode 200 of Join Up Dot. I'm especially proud to get to 200 because, to be honest, when you start anything like this, it's it's a struggle to get to the first 10, the 20, 50, 100. So to get to 200, I am especially proud. And thank you for so many of you dropping me a line to just sort of support the show as you've been doing in your thousands. Uh, I've got an amazing guest today, and he, he really is a guest for the Milestone 200th episode. And he's the only man that I wanted for the job. In fact, I held back from recording his show so he could appear. Normally, I'm about three or four weeks ahead of schedule but this is going to go live four days time and why did I feel that way well after 199 episodes of join up dots hopefully you'll feel like I do that they're motivational inspiring challenging and the kind of content that makes you believe that everything is possible but if this is the first show that you've listened to then believe me just hearing about this guy's story will leave you feeling exactly the same way when he was a young man at ages 13 and 16 he received news that would knock most people off their feet He had cancer, not just one type, but two completely different types, which left him listening to his last rites and basically waiting to die. He was given only 14 days grace, but instead of passing on as expected, he astounded the medical community when he survived both these brutal diseases and also a medically induced coma for a year. This courage to beat the odds and take on a challenge that many deemed as impossible left him with the realisation that no challenge would ever be too great or any peak too high. And he proved this theory when he got to the top of the highest point in the world, Mount Everest, with only partial use of his lungs. As the first cancer survivor to do so, he then decided to continue climbing and has since topped the highest peaks in Africa, Europe, South America, Australia, Antarctica and North America. But this isn't a story about a man with superhuman strength or support. This is a story of total belief in himself and what he can achieve, inspiring us all to dream bigger and go for the impossible. He's voted one of the top eight most inspirational people of all time, so it's with great delight to bring onto the show to start joining up dots the one and only Sean Swarner. How are you, Sean? Uh, I'm doing great, man. And, uh, you know, based on that intro, I think 
My work's done here. We don't even have to finish the interview. That was, I think that was great enough. Well, I have to say, I don't want to start with a downer, <laughs> Sean, but um, you are one of the eight most inspirational people of all time, but you struggle to use a computer or get Skype to operate properly. So you were struggling a little bit before then. You can get to the top of Everest, all right, but getting a microphone to work, different ballgame. Yeah, you know, technology is wonderful when it works, but when it doesn't, it's it's a, as you guys say, a pain in the arse. Um, you know, it, it has to do with the new computer, a new microphone, a new everything, and I, I don't know. I can I can find my way to the top of Everest, and I can find my way anywhere in the world, but if it's in my own office and I need to find something <laughs> technologically to work, I, I, I just, I'm at a loss for words. I, I, you get into that kind of age where you just kind of think, no, nah, I let somebody else do that. I've, I've got I've got nine-year-old children that operate things in my house now because I've just got to that age I can't be bothered. And I will sit there in my chair and go, oh, just sort that out for me. And they sort of trot off and do that. Are, are you at that age or am I sort of ahead of the curve on that one? You know, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but I just recently turned 40 years old and I was doing a, um, a voiceover for a documentary in my own hometown. And... Uh, the lady who was with um, the uh, the gentleman, so there's a couple helping out and, and doing the recordings and everything, and they thought that I was late 20s, early 30s. So I, I, I like that very much, but I am unfortunately, or fortunately, I suppose, since I was once given 14 days to live, so I suppose it's fortunate that I am turning 40 years old. Um, but I'm not at that age yet where I can't figure things out. It might just take a little bit longer to do so. I plug it in what I, what I call a Google machine, and the Google machine gives me a bunch of different answers, and I try something and keep going until it works. Well, you, you have found, you know, the exilia of youth. I thought you was about 20 or 30 as well. I'm, <laughs> I'm 44, and I look like a haggard, graying man, and you look like a, a young child straight out of college. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I was frozen for a year of my life. I was in a coma for a year of my life. Maybe that has something to do with it. And from what I've experienced, my brother just had a kid, uh, a young young boy, um, what was it, Thanksgiving last year, so November 28th last year, and I've already seen that child age him, so I think it has something <laughs> to do with children. Yes, it does. I've got five children, and I, well, whenever anyone says, oh, we're expecting our first child, my advice always is take as many photographs of yourself as you possibly can, because you will never look <laughs> this good again. You will age. Right. And um, so do selfies in every single position because then, yeah, it's going to suck dry. So, no, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. and it is. Um, but I think it's more to do with your sort of lifestyle. For somebody who, quite frankly, is embracing life like no one that I've personally spoken to before, that's got to keep you sort of young, youthful, fresh-faced. You're out in the open air a lot of the time. That's got to be good for you, isn't it? You know, I, I think so. I live in Colorado at about 9,000 feet, and the air up here, the air quality is fantastic. Uh, but I also, because of what I've been through, you know, I try not to take life too seriously, and I also have a fantastic sense of humor, at least I think so. And I think that really helps a lot, as does, um, like I said, not having any children yet, or, or none that I know of. Um, so it, I also look at... Um, the nutrition. Let's look at exercise. I just completed the uh, the New York City Marathon, um, but I think my body is a little bit different than most because when I was sick, going through my my chemotherapy treatments, uh, I, I trained and I ran and I kept physically active, 
uh, as well as mentally active, you know, reading a ton of books, but also getting out and out of the hospital, out of the bed when I was able to, and truly enjoying life. And every day I wake up is a gift, and I, I plan on doing that for the rest of my life. So maybe I'll look, uh, you know, maybe 40 or 50 years old when I'm 70, which will be a blessing. If you go back in time, and we're going to do that because that's what we do on Join Up Dot, but if you're laying in bed now, do you kind of think, wow, this has been a ride? Or is it kind of so ingrained in just you living your life to the way that you're doing? You can't actually perceive how inspirational it is to everybody else. You know, I think both. Um, you know, there are times, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I have ups and downs. I get frustrated with myself. I get frustrated with... Um, the stupid drivers on the road who cut me off. I get frustrated with, with everything. Uh, but it's, it's all taken with a, a grain of salt because there's nothing I can do to change uh, the guy who, or the, the, the lady who cut me off or the person who is doing something frustrating. There, there's nothing I can do to change that person. I can only change my response to that person. And the same thing about laying in bed. You know, there are times, like right now, I'm looking out my window. And it's just odd how nature and how, um, uh, what, what's that, um, uh, Murphy. Murphy and his law and I get along really well. Because I'm, I'm looking out the window and it's a complete blizzard. This is the first snow we've had all season long. And today was the day that I was going to start training for my trek across Antarctica, which I'm doing the end of December. So, Well, that's yeah, perfect, isn't I'm... it? Isn't that perfect? <laughs> Oh, it's it's. Are, are you not just the luckiest person alive that you're training to go to the Antarctic and you you've got it in your garden? It, well, yeah, it depends on how you want want to look at luck and and how you want to look at life and everything else. But uh, you know, like I said, it's it's all about perspective and looking outside. I could be really annoyed or uh, I could be really focused and and driven. And I think the difference between myself and and maybe some other people is that I do have that drive and I do have that motivation to get up and, and live. You know, there's a difference between being alive and living. And I think everyone's alive, but not everyone's truly living because they're afraid. Maybe they're afraid to step out of their personal bubble or they're, they're comfortable in their personal bubble and they're always a, a afraid to take the next step. And there are so many people out there who are motivated by negative factors as opposed to positive factors, meaning, you know, people work just hard enough to not get fired as opposed to working hard enough to get a raise and there's you know there's similarities and differences between myself and everybody else out there listening to this a you know I've, I've done some impressive things but it, it, adding on the backstory of my two cancers makes it more impressive but the thing is I'm no different than anyone else I just have a vision I have focus and I know what needs to be done and I'm not afraid to put in that effort and I also look at goals differently um, because of, of what I've been through and I focus on the end result as opposed to the little things that will get me there because if I focus on the end result and I make it real if I do come along something if I do come along to something that will frustrate me it'll never be enough to make me quit going towards my goal because before I begin I've already completed it but I, I think just that statement makes you different from you say you're exactly the same as everybody else the, the reason that we created this show is to inspire people to do stuff because I know I personally was in the comfort zone for many, many years wanting to do stuff but just not having the courage to do it. And the listeners who email me on a daily basis, it, it's funny, it can be this show, it can be 
a show that I didn't even think was particularly good for some reason. It didn't sort of resonate with me. It touches them and they go, yes, this is the moment that I'm going to do this. So I do think that you are different just having that gumption. I do think, yes, there's a lot to do it with your sort of illness when you, you were younger. But hey, there's a load of people that have that illness when they're younger and they still don't do anything like, like you've done. So I've, I think you're being humble. Well, well, I appreciate that, and that's that's. I hope one of one of my good traits of, of is is being humble. But at the same time, you know, like I said, there, 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 there is a difference between myself and others, and it goes back to what I said earlier about perspective. It is your choice to see the world the way you want to see it. It's nobody else's choice, but your own. And it's unfortunate that so many people have to go through. Um, dire situations or a traumatic experience to see life differently. You know, I'm, I'm actually in the process of putting together a, a webinar like 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 this. Hopefully, and it'll be as awesome as yours, where it's it's being called your next step. Where I'm going to be helping people take that first step into what I want to call being a survivor. And it could be a survivor of anything. Like you said, you know, you were complacent for a while. You know, what was your first step? What was uh, the reasoning for you to get motivated, what motivated you could be something completely different that motivates somebody else. So you can have two people who have the same problems, but they're motivated by different factors. And I think the difference between you and, say, somebody else or myself and someone else and the successful people and other people are, the, the difference is they've found that motivating factor. They've found something that they can hold on to and use that as um, something to push them along, not necessarily pull them along, but something to motivate them to inspire themselves to accomplish greatness. So, so did you have that same spirit as a very small child before you was ill? I can kind of in my head, I can go, yeah, okay, you survive something life threatening. You are going to be different after that. You're either going to be more positive and gung ho like you've become, or you're going to be a sort of victim and and sort of fall back into yourself. But did you have that spirit as a young kid? Were you the one that's always climbing up trees and having adventures and stuff? You know, I, I was always active. I was always out doing things and. You know, I, I still have goals, or I still have um, records from when I was a swimmer. I was my, my background is a swimmer, and I still have records from when I was 12 or 13 years old. You know, like I said, I'm now 23 years old. Um, I mean, 40. So <laughs> I still have records from when I was quite young that are still going to be there probably forever. And I've just been very fortunate with how I was raised, I think. And looking back at it, I think my parents instilled um, great sportsmanlike conduct. They also instilled humility, and they also instilled um, patience and encouragement you know, in other people. So maybe everybody has those opportunities in front of them. It's just that they need, quite possibly, and I'm thinking out loud, maybe they need some mentors to help them put their lives in a certain direction. Because every choice you make directs your life towards whatever end goal that you're reaching for and if you make poor choices you're going to have a poor life if you make good choices you're going to have a great life it is as simple as that isn't it i'm a total advocate for what you're saying because i totally totally believe it and i know that my life has changed amazingly due to the fact that I've now got focus and I've got a passion, which I kind of never had before. I, I used to sort of float, waiting for something 
magical to happen until I realised that the magic was there for me to make. And it was that kind of mindset switch that really has sort of shaken me up. And it can happen to anyone, can't it? If they then decide that they want to make those right choices, as you say, then more often than not, it's not going to be right all the time, but more often than not, great things are going to come their way. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And it's also like, um, as, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking of uh, kind of an analogy. You know, you're going to find what you're looking for. And if you're arguing with someone and you have two different perspectives and you hop on Google and plug it in the Google machine, and you're going to find what you're looking for. If you want to find uh, certain things that support your side of you, you're going to find those. If you're a person that you're arguing with wants to find certain aspects of whatever that is going to support that person's point of view, that person's going to find it. So obviously, you know, if, if it's factual and everything else, there's only one correct answer. But it's like life where you're going to find what you're looking for. And if you're looking for something positive, then you're going to find something positive. You're going to be relating to positive things. But if you're negative all the time and you're going to be looking for negative things, you're just going to have a negative life all the time too as well. So like I said, from the beginning, it's all about perspective and it's all about how you really see the world. So so when you got the, the words, you've got cancer spoken to you, did you put a positive spin on it there? Because I, I'll be honest, I don't know a great deal about people that unfortunately have cancer, but obviously some people survive and some people die. And some people survive the worst types of cancer and other people don't survive the sort of the, the, the milder forms of cancer. So were you very positive? Was it a mindset thing that helped you through or was it something else in those early stages? You know, I, I think I'm alive because of a number of reasons. Um, modern medicine, family support, prayer, and just an inner will to get up and, and survive and, and be normal again. But I think the whole time I was going through treatments, I did have a positive aspect and a positive outlook on life. And I encouraged my mom and dad to, you know, go home while I was in the hospital, get some rest. I've always been more concerned about others than I am myself, I think. And you know, I, I've learned a lot from the people I, I climbed Everest with. You know, the Sherpas, the uh, the folks are uh, who are Hindu and Buddhist, and they're really peaceful people, and they really want to help others. And I think everyone in the world can learn something from those people, but they can also learn from others around them. You know, I, I was saying that the that you know God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. So if, if you listen twice as much as you talk, you're, you're going to learn something, and you can learn something from everyone. You know, even even the guy on the on the side of the street, he has a story. She has a story. You know, if if you just listen to him, you can probably learn something from him. But going through my treatments and my cancers, I definitely had a very positive outlook on life, and I also think a sense of humor helped as well. Uh, you know, the laughter is the best medicine, and uh, there was there was there was one time. Uh, when you were saying that I was read my last rites, and I remember laying in the hospital bed as a 16-year-old, and a father, you know, a man of the cloth, came in and started reading me my last rites, and I looked at him and said, "I'm not dead yet. <laughs> you know, get out of here." And I, I started instantly thinking of uh, what was a Monty Python, meaning of life. Yeah. I think I'm not dead yet. Well, you will be soon. So, so do you always look on the bright side of life to use a Monty Python song title? You know. <laughs> Most of the time, most of the time, yes, because like I said, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I have ups and downs, and 
of course, there are times when I wake up and I don't want to to get out of bed. I make beer at home if I have a little too much beer the night before. I probably don't want to get up and do too much. But for the most part, yes, I, I do have a very uh, positive outlook on life. And I use an analogy that can that you can use and, and share with others. Uh, it, it can be used for a three-year-old to a 133-year-old. And pretend you have a glass of water. And the water represents thoughts. The glass represents your brain. So if you have clean water, it represents positive thoughts. Dirty water represents negative thoughts. If you have a glass of dirty water, a.k.a. a mind full of negative thoughts, you turn on the faucet, you turn on the spigot, and you stick it under there and constantly flush clean water into that glass, what's going to happen to the dirty water? It's going it's to disappear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're going to have nothing but positive thoughts in your brain. You're going to have nothing but clean water in your glass. It's the same thing. Have you seen that thing? Well, while you're talking about negative thoughts, there's a Japanese guy or there's some kind of scientist that takes water, pure water, and bombards it with beautiful thoughts and positive vibrations. And then the molecules become like snowflakes and, and pretty. And he does the same thing with horrible comments and violent music and all that kind of stuff. And the molecules change into a sort of deformed mess. Have you seen that? I, I have, and you know what? I uh, now that you mention it, someone just very recently gave me a book, and I'm I'm I don't know if I sound distant, but I'm I'm looking in my my computer bag right now um, because I think I have that book in there, and yeah, it, it's it's amazing, and maybe there is something that is is going on with the energy that goes into that water and the thoughts, the positiveness, uh, if that's a word, that goes into something like that. Well, if you think we're 70% water or something, then if that is true and that glass can be morphed into nice shapes or bad shapes, it would work the same with us, wouldn't it? I, I would think so, obviously, yeah. If, if we're that much water, like you said, and, and you know, science has proven that, the positive thoughts, even coming from within yourself, would help you tremendously. So, so when, when you recovered i don't want to dwell too much on the sickness because obviously it was horrific and it was horrific for your mum and dad going through it and probably in many ways it was more horrific for them than you because a lot of the time you're sort of not aware when you're you're actually ill yourself but when you sort of came to how quickly did people kind of start looking at you differently when you sort of came out of the coma was it like oh my god he's he's back but then he's going to disappear again? Or was it, oh my God, he's back and he's, he's going to be sort of all right? How, how was the sort of progression to full fitness? You know, I think it, it, it's always there. And, you know, when I first went to, to college or, or university, um, my parents got in touch with uh, my roommate at the time, and who's, who's now one of my best friends still. We were, we were roommates for all four years. My parents and, and no one in high school expected me to live through college. And they told my swim coach, my track coach, and my roommate, hey, if there's anything that goes wrong with Sean, if he has a fever, if anything goes haywire or it turns into something negative whatsoever, please let us know. And I think it was my parents obviously protecting me and, and just being worried and, and being uh, the good parents that they are because they want to make sure that obviously that their son survives and lives. But I think... It's still there because I go in once a year for an annual checkup and because no one has ever had these two cancers before, 
Well, no one on Earth. No, no one on Earth has ever been documented as having Hodgkin's and, and Askin's sarcoma. I'm the only person in the world to have ever had those. And it, it's, it's an anomaly because, I don't know if, if you mentioned this earlier, but the chances of me surviving both of those cancers is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. So it, it's, it's an impossibility. And no one knows what's going to happen with me. It, in my mind, I'm, I'm cured. But I will be in remission for the rest of my life. And people always wonder what's going to happen, if something's going to happen, if it's the cancer's going to come back. But it, it only hits me, I think, once a year when I go in for my annual checkup to get my blood drawn. And I let my friends know, my girlfriend know, and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be different until I get the results back. I'm just kind of going to be a hermit. I don't set up any meetings. I don't have anything going on. So it, it to answer your question, I suppose, in a roundabout way, like a politician, um, <laughs> I, I think... I really don't know if it's gone away completely. I don't think it ever will because it comes around once a year. The rest of the year, for the rest of, of the 50, 51 weeks where I'm okay, I don't even think about it. You know, like I said, I'm a normal person. I'm out doing some fun things. I'm, I'm skiing. I'm hiking. I'm climbing. I'm running. I'm swimming. I'm biking. I'm doing as much as I can to squeeze uh, out of life. And... I don't know if it will ever go away. Did you think you, subconsciously it's, it's a driving force in you to keep on proving yourself? You know, without being a doom monger, there might come a time when it comes back and, you know, goodbye, Sean. So do you think that subconsciously you're striving for bigger and bigger things because you you might feel like you're on borrowed time somehow? No, I think um, I think I do what I do because I know life is too precious and short. And I've been faced with my own mortality, and it happened the first time at 13 years old. And for a 13-year-old to look at his parents and be given three months to live, and if things weren't working well, I actually told my parents, you know, if I don't make it, I've, I've, I've had a wonderful life. And for a 13-year-old to tell his parents that is incredibly sad and traumatic. But I think, hmm, I, th I think it's just difficult to put all that stuff behind you and, and move forward. But because of the age I was when I went through what I did, I understood that life really was too short. And I understood the fragility of life, and I think I'm never going to um, not do as much as I can, because I, I've known ever since I was 13 that we, as, as human beings, should never worry about dying, but we should worry about not living a life that matters. I'm so glad you carried on talking there, because when you, you made that comment about what you said to your parents that choked me up does that does that choke you up when you think about it now oh of course um you know I, I wrote a book called keep climbing and one of the most difficult parts of writing the book was transcribing my mom's journal into the into my computer you know seeing what she went through and earlier you talked about how maybe it was worse on my parents and i, I completely agree you know, as a 13-year-old, 13, 13 basically a teenager, you know, my whole life was gone. It was put on pause. But my parents, I, I can't even imagine what they went through. 
you know, my we, we talked about it earlier, and, and I posted on Facebook my uh, my dog who I've had for 12 years. You know, she's 12 and a half years old. She had glaucoma, and she was in so much pain. I had to have her eye removed. I remember coming back from her surgery, carrying her back into the house, thinking, "Holy crap, this is this is tough." You know, I, was, I had tears coming out of my my eyes and everything, and then instantly the tears stopped, and I was thinking, "Oh my God, what did my parents go through? If this is my dog, I can't even imagine my child." <laughs> it's funny actually because today, talking about how. Um how life can just stop us in our tracks. And for so many of us, we don't even allow life to stop us in our tracks. We don't get going. There was a post that has gone viral on the internet that a chap put on. Um, a, he's 46 years old, Jack Jefferson or something, I think his name is. And he just posted on his life that he's 46 years old. And he suddenly realised that his dreams that he had when he was 20 haven't been realised. And he wanted to write a book. And when he was 20, he wrote 70 pages. He's now 46. It's still 70 pages. He wanted to travel the world. He wanted to create movements. He wanted to inspire people. But he gave it all up for responsibility. And he said, I've now realised that I've wasted my life living the life that other people wanted and not only did he do that but he put his his passions into a career that he didn't want meaning that he left his um he, he didn't go to his father's funeral because he couldn't get out of work his wife has been having an affair for 10 years because he just didn't notice because he wasn't there enough and he wasn't sad about it he was just saying it as a matter of fact please world please do something about it do something about it. You're only on this planet once. Make the most of it. And if anyone says anything about you, you can turn back to them, can't you? And you can go, I am. I'm making the most of what I've got and I'm doing it on a daily basis. And that, that's so inspiring, isn't it? Just the first 25 minutes of this conversation have inspired me beyond anything to ramp it up a bit and go even more than what I'm doing. Did you, do you see that when you talk to people with your story up to this point, that it really does affect them fundamentally? You know, I, 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 for the longest time, I didn't. Um, and, and everywhere I go, I, I try to visit local hospitals and share my survivorship with, with the patients. And it's very cathartic for myself because it bring back, brings back many memories, you know, a flood of memories. And it, it helps the patients because they're looking at someone standing next to them bedside I was I was in a coma, you know, like I said, for a year of my life. My first goal was to go from the hospital bed to the toilet so I wouldn't soil the sheets. And I'm standing there talking to them, knowing exactly what they feel like in that situation, but also knowing what it's like to look at the world from the pinnacle, the very top of the world, Mount Everest. And, you know, we, I'll sit down with them and we'll just talk about how they're feeling, what's going on. And oftentimes people just need someone to talk to. And... It, it, it's also going back to what you're saying as, as far as that 46-year-old goes in, in understanding that life is short and precious. It, it really is. And people need to start realizing that it's not about the things you have. It's not about um, what you obtain in your life. It's not about what you can buy. Because you know, if, if you look in a funeral possession, you will never see a moving van behind it. You will never see a U-Haul in a funeral possession because no one takes that stuff with them when they die. <laughs> That's you really so have to true. look at it that So way. true, yeah. <laughs> and you have to do everything you possibly can. Like the guy who his, his wife was cheating on him. You know, maybe he was afraid to, to take the initiative and move out or do something. My parents, unfortunately, after 35 years of marriage, got a divorce. I don't know what happened, 
because I get one story from one person, another story from the other person, but I love them equally because they are my parents. And people need to start opening their eyes and, like I said, they need to pop their personal bubble and get out there and live life. There's, a, you know, there's an entire world to see out there. You know, I've, I've been to over 60 to 65 different countries. You know, I've studied many, multiple languages, multiple um, cultures, multiple religions around the world, and people are just so caught up in their own world, they forget that there's something else out there that they really need to see. And many people come up with excuses, and I say, and this is world world known, world renowned, is you know the people who do, the people who can do, the people who don't make excuses. Okay, so let's play some words now that really sort of emphasize what we're talking about. This was um, Jim Carrey, and he recently said this to a bunch of students, and I think it's so powerful. Jim Carrey. My father could have been a great comedian, but he didn't believe that that was possible for him. And so he made a conservative choice. Instead, he got a safe job as an accountant, and when I was 12 years old, he was let go from that safe job, and our family had to do whatever we could to survive. I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. Is that the message that we should be getting out to the world, Sean? Without a doubt, I, I've never heard that before. I absolutely love it. You know, if, if you wouldn't mind sending me that, send me that link so I can write it down and, and listen to it every morning. Yeah, absolutely. I will send that across to you. He said it recently, and it was it's an amazing speech. You'll see it on YouTube, and for. 20 minutes he plays for laughs as you would expect Jim Carrey to do and then he gets into this middle bit and that is so profound that has gone viral because it is just fundamental isn't it you can fail at something you don't like so why don't we all try to do something that we love end of story nah, no, that's, that's brilliant I love it so when did you decide what you loved you you've, re you've recovered from the sort of illness and did you decide that you were going to go straight to Mount Everest or did you build up to that how what, what was the mindset what what was the decision making at that point to where you were going to ch channel your energies well first first of all I think I'm still looking for what I love and I think it's a number of different things and people often ask me oh, what do you do for a living I say well I'm a speaker author climber run a nonprofit for kids with cancer I'm, I'm all over the board and you know, when, when you graduate from college, you're supposed to uh, get a job. And then once you get a job, you're supposed to get married. Once you get married, you're supposed to have kids. Once you have kids, you're supposed to start saving for retirement. You're supposed to send them to college. You're supposed to do this throughout your life. And I think some of the most interesting people in the world are the 40-year-olds who have no idea what they want to do with their lives because they have experienced so much. And they really have so many different stories to tell and they've really done so many things with their lives that again like I said you know we have two years and one month for a reason because we can learn something from everyone but as far as how I initially got into Everest I was studying to be a psychologist for cancer patients after I went to college uh, and played um, Jim Bel uh, Belushi from Animal House I graduated <laughs> with a oh man I think it was a 2.8 or a 2.7 or something horrendous um, I just relived my high school years in college, and I never opened a book. I never studied. I never did anything. I just drank too much, had too much party time, and too much fun. Um, went to grad school, took the GRE, which is the examination that you take to get into grad school. Um, I scored the highest my psychology department had ever seen, 
and I continued down that path and started thinking about my life because what I had been through did not define who I was, but it helped mold me into the person I am today. Just like anybody's past or history doesn't define who they are, it just helps them become who that person is right then and there. And I also took a sabbatical for my studies, realizing that because of the cancers I went through and everything that I had gone through in my life, emotionally I was not ready to handle dealing with cancer patients every day of my life, but I wanted to give something back and not necessarily to the cancer community because my story is not one about cancer. It's about persistence, uh, perseverance, resilience. It's about the human spirit. And I wanted to essentially reach from the top of the world and use the highest platform in the world to give people something I never had, which is hope. Uh, you know, I have, I have a saying that the human body can live roughly 30 days without food. The human condition can sustain itself for about three days without water. But no human alive can live for more than 30 seconds without hope, because without hope, we truly have nothing. And, and when, when you were on the top of Everest, did you go, where do I go now? Because to, to my way of thinking, and the people that I've spoken to who have been to the top of Everest, a lot of it isn't about standing on the top it's about the process of actually getting there whether it's the challenge of actually seeing if they could get to the top when they're at the top it's kind of like okay i've got to get down now but <laughs> did you feel that or was it a process getting there was that what defined your journey to that point or was it standing on the top i think it was everything wrapped up in one um one of the first things I did when I got up there, I had to go to the bathroom so bad, I actually wrote my name in the snow, <laughs> uh, which <laughs> not too many people can say they, they wrote their name in the snow on top of the world. But uh, that's, that's the truth. I had to write my name in the snow because I had to go to the restroom. Um, but when I got to the top, I, I cried like a baby. And it was so emotional because it was almost an homage of everything I've done and, and all the people that I, I've, I had been carrying with me. Because when I was climbing, I had a flag about uh, size, about the size of my lap, or my, about my uh, computer screen here, you know, 26, 27 inches. And it had names of people touched by cancer. It, it was on a silk flag wrapped up in my chest pocket close to my heart as a reminder of my goals. Those are the people who, I, I didn't climb Everest by myself. Those people carried me to the top. So when I first got to the top, I, I broke down and I started crying because of all the people who inspired me to get there. And I'll be honest with you, the first thing that I thought when I got to the top was, holy crap, I made it. <laughs> you know, Looking back down across the world, there is nothing higher than that point. It's such an accomplishment. And it's such a feeling of, of overwhelming everything. And that's the only way I can describe it. It's overwhelming everything. If you could take every emotion you've ever had, wrap it up into a little ball, and make it explode all at once, that's what it felt like. And then as you said earlier, you know, I kind of looked around and I thought to myself, well, you know what, I, uh, huh. I, uh, I, need, I need to go back down. You know, you're only halfway when you reach the top of a mountain. And, and that's really a sort of metaphor for your life generally, isn't it? Because... You keep on climbing. You keep on moving forward. You know, it, it is. And I actually have a band I can send you, or any listener, if they reach out to me and, and email me, I have a band around my wrist right now that says, keep climbing. It is a metaphor for life as well, because 
anybody who comes into contact with any obstacle, any mountain, anything that gets in the way, the people who succeed, the people who are happy in life are the ones who keep climbing and keep moving up. Did you find that is the most perfect metaphor now, keep on climbing? Because well, when, when I first saw it, I thought, yeah, that, that is it. And it nails it in about three words, doesn't it? It, it does. And I, I think it really does kind of wrap up everything I've, I've done in my life. And it does kind of pigeon, I don't want to say pigeonhole me into something, but it does define who I am because I am never going to stop. Well, where do you know where to go next? Because that, that's the thing about climbing, isn't it? You get to a point, and especially getting to the highest point on Earth, all the other mountains, are they as challenging? Are there different obstacles on them? Um, how do you know where to go next once you've been to the top? Well, if, if you look at mountains, uh, you know, Everest technically isn't one of the most difficult mountains in the world. Uh, just because the altitude does make it incredibly difficult. Techno technically, it's not that bad. And, you know, there are other, there are other mountains out there. Like, like I said, I've, I've done the Seven Summits, which is the highest mountain on every continent. But there are other, other challenges out there as well. You know, I don't know if you've heard of the Hawaii Ironman, but it's a triathlon where it's the World Championship Triathlon starting off with a two-and-a-half-mile ocean swim, 112-mile bike ride, and you finish with a marathon. And I did that not too long ago. In fact, I'm the only person in the world who's done what I've done. And it's, it's um, kind of unique because if you look at the, the professional ballers out there, the uh, hockey players, basketball players, football players, you know, soccer slash football players, you know, there are hundreds if not thousands and thousands of these people. If you look at Everest, the Seven Summits, the Hawaii Ironman, and this winter I'll be trekking to the South Pole, there's one person in the world there's one person out of over 7 billion people on the planet who's accomplished that, and you're talking to them. Does that blow your mind? Because it blows my mind. I, I, I was having a conversation with Kathy O'Dowd, who was the first lady to get to the top of Everest from the north and south, I think it was. And uh, I said to her, you know, you were the first lady. And she went, yeah, yeah, I was. And I went, no, come on, you're, you're the first lady. You, in the whole world, you are the first. I, I, I never even you know, came first in a swimming race with four other kids. And you are the first person who's ever been on this planet to do that. That, that blows your mind. It must blow your mind that you look at it and think, my God, not one ever person who's ever walked on this planet since dinosaur time has done the same thing. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, and I, I really do appreciate the support and, and the kind word. But I also tell people many times over, you, you, don't, you shouldn't try and you shouldn't worry about being the best. Be your best. You know, many people have different mountains to climb. Many people have uh, different Everests. You know, for me, my Everest was literally Mount Everest. For some people, their Mount Everest is walking around the block. You know, it, it can, it, it's all uh, proportional to what that person perceives. Yeah, but you so were still you the be... first. Getting away from all that, and I know what you're saying, <laughs> you were still the first. That first, is mind-blowing, isn't it? It, You know, it, it is, but at the same time, I, I am, I'm just being my best, and I think I'm just doing what anyone would do in my situation who's had two cancers and was given three months to live, 14 days to live, and a coma for a year of his life, and has one lung. I mean, somebody who's gone through that, logically, they climb Everest, right? 
Well, yeah, it's, it's either that or I suppose go to space or 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 do some amazing thing. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. In in a way, I think your positive outlook, which you've obviously had as a child, was kind of suppressed. So when you came out of your your illness, you you were like a coiled spring, and I I, I can feel that in myself. I've never been ill. I, I rarely get a cold, um, unless you listen to these shows, and I'm always saying I've got a sore throat or something. But um. Y- you just seem to be defined not by that moment in your life but by who you was always going to be that just pushed you along somehow would would you think that i I think so and that that also brings me to another point i wanted to reach out and and discuss too there are so many people so many motivational speakers around the world um, who are interested in success you know, they want to be successful. They want to be successful. They want to be successful. We set goals to be successful. Well, once you get that goal, once you achieve that goal, you either are complacent or you kind of fall back from that goal normally. So instead of being success, you know, being successful, and it's a play on words, it's just semantics here, why shouldn't we all just worry about succeeding? Yeah, absolutely. And why don't we? Why don't we? You know, I, I think that's what I'm doing with my life. I'm continuously succeeding, and I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to sit and, and rest on my laurels, because people ask, always ask me, you know, what's next? Well, what are you doing next? So I want to focus on succeeding and continually, uh, continuously pushing myself to the, to the, I guess, to the edge, and con- continue pushing myself forward. And it's, it's kind of funny you, you mentioned space. You know, I don't know if any cancer survivor has, has ever been to space, but that'd be great. Be the first cancer survivor in space. Why not? Do you think it's interesting that people always ask you what's next? Because they're, they're ultimately, unfortunately, living through you. They feel inspired by your actions, and so they love it that you've tested yourself out and gone further. Because... For many of us, we're unwilling to do that. So when we see somebody doing it, we, we, we're inspired, aren't we? we? We love it in the Rocky films when he gets knocked down and he gets back up and he keeps on going. Did you find that a question where you kind of go, really, is it about what's next for me? Should it be more what's next for you? That's where my mind was going. That's where my, my, my thought process was going when you were talking. You know, when, when people always ask me what's next, I am inclined to ask them, well, what's next in your life? You know, what are you doing? Why, why are so many people around the world focused on Snooki and whatever the hell she's doing? Why do people even care? Why are, why are people not looking in the mirror and caring more about what that person's doing? And why do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe we can put it together, bottle it up, and make a million dollars. I tell you what, we we would be rich, wouldn't we? Because I, I I have conversations with people all the time, and I, I mention this a lot on the show because it, it annoys me. And if I talk to somebody that I used to know in a previous life before this, and I say to them, you know, what, what's your plans? And I always like that. I always like to be very inspired. And they will go, oh, I, I'm dreaming of doing this, and I've got this, and I've got that. And I go, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, excellent. And then I see them four months later, and they're still having those same dreams, and I haven't done anything towards it. And you, you've got to, you've got to create your reality exactly as you're saying, wouldn't it? The choices that you make will allow you to see the world that you want to see. I, I think so. I think you have to manufacture your own future, and I, I do believe that. <clears throat> excuse me. I, I do believe so many people in the world are afraid, and maybe they're afraid of failure. But like I said, 
using the analogy, and I didn't really get into it in much, much detail, but if you use the analogy of going towards goals as a mountain peak, you know, climbing a mountain, you start at base camp and you work on those successive goals to reach the top. And each little goal that you accomplish and each little goal that you achieve makes you feel more successful. And you build on those ener that energy and those feelings to get you to the top. But what happens is oftentimes going towards a goal, you encounter a setback. And that setback is enough to frustrate you to, to quit. What I do, and in my mind what I do, I start on top of the mountain. And before I even begin down that path or before I even begin up that mountain, in my mind, I perceive myself as already successful, already have, have done it. So that way, I, what I do is I take the mountain, I flip it upside down. I start on the summit and I work towards that goal of base camp. Because if I'm already successful in my mind when I start, any obstacle that gets in my way will never be enough to frustrate me to quitting. And maybe if people looked at things a little bit differently and, and more people looked at their goals from that angle, from that perspective. The perspective of before you begin, you're already successful, and in your mind's eye, it's already real. You feel it, you believe it, you taste it, you smell it. You know, using as many senses as possible. If you start successful, you will never fail. So, well, what I do is that I kind of picture a room of where I want to be, and it might be a goal that I want to achieve, and I, I leave my body there, and it's there, and then I've got to work towards getting my body back, and if I don't get to that point, then I'm kind of lost somewhat, and over the last few years, I mentally do that. I decide on what I want to do. I have my kind of images around me, and it's amazing how often recently I have been doing stuff and then I look at something and I realize I've replicated that image. I've achieved that vision and I am at that point. Now, where I fail, and I don't know if you do this, when I achieve something, I, I celebrate for like a nanosecond. And then I'm right. What's the next one? And I kind of move on. I'm not big at actually celebrating. Did you do you celebrate when you've achieved your goals? When you're at the top of Everest, I know you you sort of cried and it was all emotional. But did you kind of go, yes, I've really achieved it, or was it like, right, okay, I've got to get down now, and then I've got to do this and I've got to do that, and you're on to the next thing? No, I, I definitely celebrated because you know working towards that goal and working towards any goal. Once you achieve that goal, you have to give yourself some sort of satisfaction. You should be proud of those accomplishments. You know, like, like you said, if you're in the room, or you picture yourself in the room, and, and it's almost like, for me as well, it's, it's almost like deja vu. And when it is real, um, as opposed to in my mind's eye, when it is real, it comes back to me as deja vu, and I do celebrate because any accomplishment that you have is worth celebrating, and you should honor yourself you should be proud of yourself for for accomplishing that how how do you celebrate when when you've achieved a goal and you've had that deja vu moment that suddenly it's come together and you think my god yeah i'm here this this is what i was aiming for i'm here how do you celebrate you know i think it it, it depends um you know say the, the hawaii iron man uh, i swam with the dolphins the next day um everest i i, I cried my eyeballs out, uh, and I, I came home alive. I think that was uh, a huge celebration in itself. Um, the South Pole, I have a, uh, a bottle of port that I got when I was giving a presentation in Lisbon, uh, a nice bottle of port, so I'm going to take that with me, and I put in um, 
into the budget, uh, th I think, two or three days in Belize. So I'm going to stay in Belize for a little bit. But I also celebrate myself with loved ones and people who were there from the beginning who have encouraged and supported me uh, from the start. And I think it's important to surround yourself by like-minded people who always support you. I really, I blink and that's it. And I know it's a failing. I really should celebrate. And I've had some milestones doing this show, which looking back on it have blown my mind and other people seem to get more satisfaction from my achievements than I do. But I do, I, I kind of blink and go, right, achieved it. What's next? And just keep on going. I, I need to take, I need to go to Belize, don't I, for three days. I don't, I don't know what my wife's going to say, but um, that's what I need to do. Well, right right now, this is number 200, right? 200. Episode 200. Yeah, well, then celebrate. Give it a little woohoo. Like, yeah, nice job. I'm going to give myself a round of applause. Here we go. There you go. <laughs> the only time I play that is in the bedroom. That, that's where I play that, Sean. <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm always on my own. That, that's a drawback to that sound effect. Yeah, we, we kind of have a joke here that uh, you watch too much Sports Center if you spike a football, if, if you spike your pillow after sex. <laughs> yes, and, and that's one of those comments that the, the kids in the back of the car are going, what did he just say, Mum and Dad? <laughs> you have brought this episode to a level I wasn't expecting, young man. Hey, there, there are so many different levels. I'm kind of like Shrek, you know, there, there are layers, right? That's, a, that's what we love. That's what we love about it. So I'm, I'm going to have to ask the question, and I, I, I've been grappling because it's, it's the question I don't want to ask now. But what is next for you? Well, what's next for you? That's a good answer. And I'll tell you what is next for me. I want to get to 500 episodes. I want to have this show as part show but part community i want to build a network of support for people around the world i want to have a coaching team helping people to take that first step very much as you said at the very beginning about take the first step when you were saying that i thought yes it's kindred spirits because it is so important isn't it trying to get people to take that first step and then hopefully take another one and take another one and see where they can get so that's what i'm aiming for what about yourself sir well, I will run with that and say my next steps, uh, my, uh, what, what's next on my horizon is to help you accomplish your goals and maybe we can collaborate on a lot of things that you just said. Um, aside from that, I am trekking to the South Pole in December. We're reaching out to a lot of different people around the world to have them follow the trip uh, because I have a satellite phone and I can receive encouraging texts down, text down there. Uh, but eventually, you know, in the next five, ten years, whatever, I'd love to have a family. I'd love to... Um, maybe have a couple of children if I can. I don't know if I can because of the chemotherapy drugs, but something tells me I can. Um, I have a lot of other goals that I'd love to do as well. You know, trek to the North Pole, um, encourage a lot of other people to climb their Everest, write another book or three or five. Um, I'd also love to host a television show on the Travel Channel. I reckon every single one of those goals you will achieve. I don't even reckon. I know you will. And <laughs> And, and that's the power of being you, isn't it, really? You, you, you allow other people to believe. And if you engulf yourself in that much belief, if you don't believe yourself, then there's something wrong, isn't there? Yeah, 
No, definitely. You have to believe in yourself. I'm going to play the words of the show now. This is the theme that um, basically the whole show was created around, Join Up Dots. And these are the words that Steve Jobs said back in 2005. And I'm always fascinated whether your position now shows resonance to these words, whether you can appreciate what Steve Jobs was saying. So this is Steve. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college. But it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. And that will make all the difference. So when you listen to those words, do you reflect on them? Are there resonance to your, to your life? Without a doubt, there were so many times in my life where I didn't know if I was even going to wake up the next morning because of my, my cancers. And looking forward, it's impossible to fathom as a 13-year-old where I am now. And people often ask me, it's, it's kind of like what I'm, what I'm about, about to say. It's, it's a lot like people ask me all the time, what would my life be like if I didn't have cancer? And I say it's, it's kind of like a tree with the, the millions of branches out there. And every split in the tree, every branch is a, a point in your life where you had to make a decision. And I'm out here, you know, on the far right side or, or far top, wherever, on this branch because of this, the decisions I've made. And if I go back on that branch to a decision, uh, a time where I had to make a decision, and I continue back a little bit further, back a little bit further, eventually I'm at the trunk of the branch where my life could go in countless other directions. And there's no way humanly possible to even fathom where my life would be if I didn't have cancer. So looking as a 13-year-old into the future, there's no way I could have predicted where my life was going to be going. So connecting the dots, looking backwards, hindsight's 2020. You know, you have a clear picture of your past. Everyone looks in the rearview mirror of their lives and they can see where they've been. It's almost like driving into a fog where you have no clue where you're going, but you're just trusting, like Steve Jobs said there, you're trusting your gut, trust in something. And what, what do you trust in totally? Just yourself? Or do you have a wider faith? Um, I do have a wider faith. I, I believe in a higher power. I trust in myself. I trust in my friends. I trust in my past experiences as well. And I know every single time I've not listened to my gut, it's come back to bite me in the ass. So I have always trusted my gut, and I always will. Looking at the future, I will always try to predict and focus on intently what I want, where I want to be. And if it doesn't happen, you know, that's fine. There are other options. But I will always do everything I can to possibly make that happen. I, I, I totally believe you will. You know, I'm looking, as you're saying that, I'm looking at you were voted one of the top eight most inspirational people of all time. And I'm thinking, why is he not number one or two? Why is, <laughs> have you ever asked that when somebody says, yes, you're voted the top eight? Did you go, yeah, but what position in eight? You know, I, I haven't. I'm just, uh, I'm just honored to be part of the, uh, uh, that, that small niche group of people. 
Well, I'm going to put you at number one, sir. I think that you are you are the, the man for the 200th episode and you are my most inspirational person of all time. And I'm going to send you back in time now and I'm going to play the theme tune. And when it fades, what advice would you give your younger self and what age would you like to speak to if you did have the opportunity? So I'm going to play the ch- tune and when it fades, you're up. This is the sermon on the mic. The best bit of the show The sermon on the mic The sermon on the mic And I I think I'm going to interject real quick before I go back in time and just say where we're going, we don't need roads. (laughs) So (laughs) I think looking back at my life and talking to myself, um, I would tell myself to always have faith, um, always look to the future, but never forget the past, and always incorporate what other people are doing into your own life because, you know, you have to respect differences. And if I had to give myself some advice, talking to myself, you know, like I'm trying to pretend I'm doing now, first thing I would say is you will survive. You will not die. You will go on to accomplish astronomical things that would just boggle people's minds. And you will always continue to reach into people's hearts and to encourage them to be the best they can be. And always hold on to the person that you are and always try to be the child and the young man who was born and raised in a small town of 5,000 people in Willard, Ohio, and remain always ethical and moral. You'll be approached by many, many, many people who want something from you, but you cannot deliver to everyone. You have to do what's best for you first, because if you don't take care of yourself first, you can't take care of other, other people. And... I would also tell myself that you'll make many mistakes along the way, but learn from those mistakes. And in the end, everything will always work out the way it should. Sean, how can our audience connect with you, sir? Oh, that's easy. They can swing by my house. (laughs) Just just, just watch out for the dog. Right, exactly. No, they can get in touch with me at sean at cancerclimber.org. And it's Sean, just like uh, Sean Connery. Or they can go to Sean Swarner, just like the Warner Brothers, but with an S on the front, seanswarner.com. Sean, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I do believe that by joining up the dots and connecting our past is the best way to build our futures. Sean Swarner, thank you so much. Uh, it's, 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 trust me, it's an honor and a privilege on this end. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once... Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com, the only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now.
David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.